morning. We, uh, we'd like to turn our attention uh, to the Word of God, uh, and, uh, and I'm going to be taking, uh, I'm going to be taking my thought out of the second chapter of the book of Micah. I'm not going to dwell too long in the, in the second chapter of the, the book of Micah. We may come back and touch on it, uh, but the thought that I would like to, do, to, uh, to convey is, is contained within that chapter. And uh, it's a woe that's pronounced. Uh, it's uh, pronounced against a certain segment of, of people. And, uh, and we can find these people all down throughout the course of human history. Um, they don't know a religion. Uh, they don't know a nationality. Uh, it's a spiritual condition that they, do, that they suffer from. And, uh, and they manifest it outwardly in the things that they do. And, uh, and so we, we know that it's, it's nothing uncommon for God to pronounce woes. Jesus pronounced a series of woes uh, when he was in the world. Uh, he, he pronounced a woe against Bethsaida and, uh, and Zidon, uh, or Sidon. And, uh, and one of the things that he had said about that was if the works that had been done in them that had been had were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have long ago repented in sackcloth and ashes. And uh, and so in the book of Micah, we're going to read about my, uh, the, a woe that is pronounced that God is pronouncing upon um, the upon wicked uh, doers, uh, you know, evil people. And uh, in, in the first verse of the second chapter, he says, "Woe." To them that devise iniquity, and that's that's going to be the lesson for our sermon or the title for our sermon today. Woe to them that devise iniquity, and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Behold, this family do I do I this family, or against this family do I devise an evil, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. In that day shall one take up a parable against you, and lament with a doleful lamentation, and say, We be utterly spoiled. My people, or sorry, he hath changed the portion. Of my people, how hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt uh, have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even to my la- even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them which pass by securely, as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore 
destruction. I want to stop right there. That's the conclusion of the 10th verse. And uh, and and just say once again, the title that we're going to take comes from the first verse, Woe to them that devise iniquity. Now, look at the 10th verse and the way that he finishes up uh, right there. And, and he says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Now, what is it that the, uh, the prophet is talking about here? He's prophesying in a day, uh, and if we go back and look in the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Micah, we see which day it is that he's prophesying in. He was the prophet in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Now, if we recall correctly, uh, the, the kingship of Hezekiah, uh, Hezekiah is remembered by the Bible as a king which did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, however, we can also find uh, uh, in the Bible where it says of Hezekiah that he did do that which was right in the sight of the Lord, though he didn't do it entirely in a perfect manner. Uh, and, and here's where you can see that put on full display. Uh, when messengers came from Babylon, uh, uh, from Chaldea, uh, Hezekiah in his pride takes those messengers and he shows them all of the riches that belong uh, in Judea. He shows them everything. Isaiah came to him and prophesied to him that they would return, though not in the spirit in which they came the first time, they would return and they would carry them away into Babylon, into captivity. That's the day in which he's prophesying. Now, of Israel, of Israel, he says, it's even worse because of Israel, I'm going to make them, in the sixth verse, he says, I'm going to make Samaria, which that's exchangeable with the northern kingdom Israel, which is also exchangeable with the tribe of Ephraim. He says, but but Samaria, I'm going to make them as an ash, ash heap in the field. In other words, they're not coming out. <laughs> well, they're, what, they're going to be completely done away with and completely destroyed uh, in the sight of the Lord. But now he does say in the 12th verse in the second chapter that I will surely gather together the remnant, the remnant of Israel and I will put them together as the sheep of Basra. So we know that he's pronouncing judgment against both Samaria and Jerusalem because of idolatry. Um, and we know for a fact that, that Israel or Samaria or Ephraim is not going to survive coming out of this captivity, but Judah will. Uh, and it's not going to be all of Judah, even though he says that, uh, all of thee, uh, it's going to be a remnant that's going to be, uh, that's going to, that's going to be brought out of it. Now what's interesting here is how all of this, so much of the Old Testament is so intertwined, it, honestly, sometimes it blows my mind. Now, I'd like to take this and have us to consider this verse, Woe unto them that devise iniquity, and I'm going to go over to the book of Esther. And, and in the book of Esther, we're going to look at, uh, at some things that happen. Uh, we're going to look at a couple individuals in the book of Esther, and, uh, and we're going to ponder on those and try to explain, uh, if the Lord helps us, uh, 
we'll get to where we want to get to. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to start in the book of Esther, and, and I'm not going to read all the book of Esther. It's going to just, I would gla- y'all would glaze over. I would see, you know, your eyes would roll back in your head, and I would understand that I just need to stop. But, but we're going to just do some high-level Cliff Notes versions of what happens in the book of Esther, what brings it all about, right? And, and so there was uh, the first, the first uh, big event that takes place in the book of Esther. And the reason I do this is because at the beginning of the second chapter, it says, after all these things. At the beginning of the third chapter, it says, after all these things. So if you don't know what happened before, you can't understand the context of what's happening in the present. And so in the first chapter of the book of Esther, we read about Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti was beckoned by the king, not beckoned commanded by the king to come before him and come before uh, the king's court. Um, Now, if you go and you study this, you will find out in the verse right before that that the king was merry with wine. So let's just say that in today's nomenclature, can we? He was drunk. (laughs) He was drunk. His whole court was drunk. And they get to talking about the beauty of Vashti. And so the king beckons her forth or summons her to come before them. And she refuses to come. Now, now you can, you can look at that and say, well, you know, she is this rebellious woman. Actually, she's not a rebellious woman. I want you to understand that. Vashti, when you study the book of Esther, is not rebelling against her husband. She's rebelling against him in this, well, she is in a sense, but, but what she's really rebelling against is this drunken form of her husband, who in the midst of those who are his compatriots, and they're not his, on his equal, but they sit in the court with him, uh, they sit there with him, and, and, and they get to bragging. At, we know what guys do. <laughs> And he starts bragging about the beauty of Queen Vashti. Now, how do you think he summoned her? How do you think he told her to come in before them? This is a drunken reveling party that's going on that usually uh, only the concubines are allowed to attend because you don't treat a wife the way you treat the concubine. You do the indecent acts with the concubine, but the wife is garnered respect because she holds the title of a wife. He would have simply... And this is the what the Jews believe in their tradition, and, and I tend to agree with it. Josephus believed it. She wasn't requested to come before them fully clothed. She would have been naked in all probability. Which was a violation of Persiac, Persiac law. That wasn't permitted that the wife would come before in a public setting in that manner. And so she actually is upholding the law where her drunken husband is has ordered her as king to violate it. That kind of changes your perception of Vashti a little bit, doesn't it? Because we tend to look at her and say, oh, look at this Queen Vashti. She thinks she knows everything. That's the wrong way to look at her. 
the the person who takes that stance is is the is the is the guy who has the ear of the king, Mimukan, and he he issues this hyperbolic statement about what Vashti's done and said every woman in the kingdom's going to do this now. Well, I mean, I guess if her their husband's drunk and is behaving belligerently and and uh, is not regarding the welfare of his wife, yeah, she probably should. <laughs> So he issues a decree. He gets an ish, a, a decree issued with the with the authority of the king's ring, and uh, and Vashti is 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 done is is divorced, and she loses her title as queen, and so that gets us to the second uh, that gets us to the second chapter, um, where to pick out the new queen for the for the king. They hold a beauty contest. <laughs> And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. No, that's exactly what they essentially held was beauty contest. Uh, and, and we're not going to get into all the particulars on it. Needless to say, uh, Esther won out. Esther became the new queen. And, and here's the thing. Esther was a beautiful woman. And I mean that literally, physically. She was a very beautiful woman. Uh, she, was, she, was, uh, she was beautiful to the point that she didn't need to put on the dog. Does everybody know what that means? She didn't have to make a show. She didn't have to be ostentatious. She didn't have to have some big flowing dresser. She didn't have to have a bunch of makeup on. She just went with the bare minimum of what was provided for her, and she blew everybody away. Her modesty is actually equal with the modesty that Queen Vashti showed. And we don't think of her as showing modesty, but she did. Now... We're gonna we're gonna move on here. We're gonna move on here. The other big the other big event that happens in the second chapter of of of, of Esther is uh, is is Mordecai who is what's his relation to Esther? Huh? It's her cousin. Because Esther is his uncle's daughter. So he's her cousin. But he takes up, I think he's an older cousin, she's a younger cousin, because he takes up the task to raise her as if she were his daughter. He, he learns of a plot set by men against the king. We would probably call this a coup nowadays, where they wanted to kill the king. And, and so he goes and he reports the, the, the conspiracy, and, uh, and he gets his name recorded in the book of the Chronicles, not of the kings of Israel, but of the kings of the, Merds, uh, the Medes and the Persians. Very important events. Now we're going to get on to what happened after that was the two that were plotting against him. They were killed. They had to be replaced. So they replace him with a man whose name is Haman. The thing you need to know about Haman that really matters is Haman is the manifestation of how large a failure King Saul was. Everybody remember King Saul? Remember who God told King Saul to go and utterly destroy? Say, go and you're going to go and you're going to utterly destroy the Amalekites. That means nobody survives. But we know that King Agag survived, right? Because he said, oh, I brought him back to, I brought him back to Jerusalem. And God says, that's not what I told you to do. And Samuel killed him. 
But we obviously have to know that more than just King Agag survived because the man that's going to replace those two men on the king's council is an Agagite, meaning he's a descendant of Agag. So now, now within the context of the book of uh, of the book of Esther, we've got an old quarrel, don't we? We've got an old quarrel. We've got a quarrel between the Amalekites and the Israelites. Their first enemy, Amalek. Haman is very familiar of his history, and he's very familiar of who his foe is. And the king says that everybody is to reverence, to reverence Haman because of the position that he's been elevated to. In the second chapter, in the third verse, and this is where I'm going to pick up, it says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not. Now you want to say, well, why is it that, Mor- why wouldn't Mordecai bow? Have you ever, uh, I mean, maybe you've never thought about that, but, uh, but you know, I, I kind of think these things, when you're studying this stuff, you say, well, why in the world wouldn't Mordecai bow? And, and I want to I wanna use this verse of Scripture here, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's Romans 12, 2. Uh, we're all familiar with this verse of Scripture. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In, in other words, um, I think Mordecai knew the history of Haman. I think Haman knew the history of Mordecai, and, uh, and, and so Mordecai... Um, Mordecai says, I'm not bowing for that guy because he's not righteous. He's not the king, number one, but number two, I, I, know, his hif- I know his family history. Remember, nothing's happened for Haman. For nothing's, Haman's done nothing up to this point that we have recorded that would cause Mordecai to say, I'm not bowing for that guy. He has to know the history. Everybody in the king's gate bowed in reverence, but Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. I'm not worshiping that guy. (laughs) You can. I'm not. We see that we see that nowadays, don't we? I think we do. I actually think that's one of the things, one of the good things that came out of quarantine is a lot of people stopped worshiping people they shouldn't have been worshiping. And I'm just going to give you the really easy low-hanging fruit on this one, right? Athletes. They don't worship them anymore. Have you noticed that? You look at their ratings, and their ratings will manifestly declare, holy cow, people don't hold us in the high regard that they once used to. They stopped worshiping them, didn't they? Well, this naturally makes Mordecai mad. So Mordecai is going to... Remember, woe unto them that deviseth... Let's go back and let's read it. Woe unto them that deviseth iniquity. That devise iniquity. 
That means they lay they lay in their bed at night. Look how he describes that. He says, okay, so they work evil upon their beds. They lay in their bed at night, and their mind's racing, and their mind's think, and they're thinking uh, when a lot of their other faculties are are lowered, right? Because you're laying in the bed. They're, they're laying in their bed, and they're thinking of evil things, plans. They're working out plans, aren't they? They're working out plans, but they, you know, but it's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to do it. Thinking about it's a sin in and of itself. Thought of speech against God. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. And so we look at this and we say, okay. But then in the morning, when the morning is light, then they practice it. <laughs> so they not only think about it, but they actually go, actually physically go about the process of bringing that about. And why? Because it's in the power of their hand. They obviously had the ability to do it, to bring it about. Haman had the ability to do it. He had the ability to bring it about. The children of Israel, uh, meaning the meaning, well, all of the children of Israel, because Israel and Judah are both in captivity. But they are uh, they are uh, in the power of his hand because he is in the king's court. And so he's going to devise a plan. He's got the ear of the king. He's going to devise a plan. And here's this plan. He, he says, And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and diverse... And, and this is in the 8th verse, in the, second, in the third chapter. He says, There is a certain people uh, scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Man, they should have really had some lessons on diversity and inclusion back there, shouldn't they? <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a noble thing. They understood that it was unity. They understood that it was unity which made a kingdom strong, not diversity. When, when the people are united together, working toward a common cause, you get people united together working toward a common cause, you're going you're gonna to come across a group of people that's almost unstoppable. I hope we understand that. That's why he sells this diversity of thought as a perilous proposition before the king and his kingdom. Why is that? Well, the state motto of Kentucky should tell you all you need to know. United we stand, and divided we fall. And thus we find the state of the United States of America today, don't we? But God's, God's greater. We're going to get to that. God's greater. God's greater. He says they neither keep the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. You know what did he just do? Has anybody ever heard of demagoguery? He just, he just practiced the art of demagoguery against an entire group of people, didn't he? Isn't that happening today? 
I think it is. I know it is. All you got to do is start start reading, and it's very easy to find out. And you'll find that it has the exact that the, that the outcome is exactly the same. They want exactly the same outcome. So he asked the king a question. He says, if it please the king, and we're in the ninth verse, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. See, there's how you know who your enemy is. I touched on that a few weeks ago. That it, The way you know who your enemy is, is you, they, your enemy wants to see you destroyed. Now, remember what Micah wrote. Micah wrote that they were utterly spoiled. You know what that means? They're utterly destroyed. Which is what God told the children of Israel to do when they went in to conquer the land of Canaan. You utterly destroy the Amalekites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Perizzites, so on and so forth. <coughs> and the whole point of that was so that they would not become entangled in their theology. They didn't worship God. They didn't acknowledge God. Though they had lived with them for hundreds of years, they refused to capitulate and acknowledge their sin, repent and seek the Lord for the salvation of their soul. If you're here today and you're lost, that's what you've got to do in order to be saved. You know that because all you got to do is watch email community. You got all you have to do is is read communications back and forth between the two groups. And, and when, the one, when one group feels like they put forth an argument that's on the other group, they don't say such and such defeated so and so in an argument. It's phrased this way, such and such destroys so and so with an argument. So there you know they're using, it, they're using a vernacular that manifestly proves that they view the other side as their enemy. And that's the way Haman viewed the Jews as his enemy of long time, <laughs> going back all the way to Amalek. And so I don't want to tear your patience here. We're getting, I'm going to try to speed it up here. Um, so then he bribes the king. He, he makes forth his, his, here's what I want to do. I want to destroy my enemy. And then he says, and here's what I'll do. I'll pay, I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. In other words, I will make a big donation to your coffers if you will allow me to do this thing. And the king took his ring from his hand and he gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And so there you have it. And so the, the plan is laid and it's, and, and it's hatched. And, and, and then so what happens is they send out communications in every language of the kingdom. They send out communications far and wide, de declaring and decreeing that everybody who's, uh, who's, uh, who's, uh, who's a Jew is to be, uh, is to be killed. That's what he declared, and that's what he decreed, and he did it with the authority of the king's ring and with the seal of the king's ring, and to prove to you how big a deal that was, we go over and we look in the book of Daniel, and, uh, and we read about uh, the, the, the account of Darius uh, uh, in the book of Daniel. Now, here's uh, an interesting tidbit. Um, Darius is Ahasuerus' son. Uh, 
Xerxes I is generally regarded as king Ahasuerus uh, that we read about in the book of Esther. Darius was his son. So once they defeat Babylon, right, which we read about the defeating of Babylon uh, after the, after Bab- Belteshazzar uh, is prophesied uh, by Daniel, uh, then Darius I takes Dan- or Darius takes Daniel and makes him um, pretty much the preeminent other, no, nobody's higher than Daniel in Babylon except for Darius. Darius is it in the land of Chaldea. Or sorry, Daniel is as high as you can go except Darius. He's in much the same position that, that we read about and we find that Joseph was in. Uh, Mordecai is going to be in the same position underneath Xerxes I. And, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to go on here. But he says this, and, and it says, Now, O king, establish a decree. This is in the 8th verse of the 6th chapter of Daniel. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign with the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So once it was decreed by the king, once it was sealed by the king's ring, it was unchangeable. In Daniel's part, in Daniel's sense, he had this, he had men conspiring against him too, though it was for political gain. And, and what they did was they said, "Let's make a law where for 30 days you cannot worship anybody other than Darius. And if they do, they get thrown into the den of the lions." I think these guys are living today. <laughs> they don't want anybody to worship the Lord. Now, we know what Daniel did. We know what Daniel did. Daniel threw up the window of his house, and he said, I'm going to worship the Lord anyway. And he prayed, and he got caught, thrown in the lion's den, and the Lord shut the mouths of the lions. Darius learned his lesson. Mordecai goes to Esther, and he says, Esther, you, you know, we're, in a bad street, we're in bad shape here. You know, Haman has issued this writing that we're all to be killed. Esther didn't know anything about it. She's shielded from it, isn't she? She's in she's living in luxury now. So Mordecai is going to make a request of Esther and he says, "Here's here's what I want you to do, Esther." In the 13th verse, he says, "And then Mordecai commanded uh, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall then, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. In other words, he says, Esther, don't, don't just sit there and think about saving yourself in the position that you're in. Because you'll surely be destroyed as well because you are under the same lineage. He says, But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Folks, we live in a time where we should be asking ourselves this question. I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute. So that means I only got about ten more. <laughs> I kid, I kid. How do we not know that we may have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
sometimes we need to stop and we need to examine the situations going on around us and we should ask ourselves the question instead of just lamenting the circumstances. Now, when, when, when your enemy really does raise their hand to you, the only, the only proper response is one of lamentation. And in the book of Esther, it says they not just gave lamentation, but they gave a doleful lamentation. I'm sorry, that's in, 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 in Micah. That's, uh, that's in the book of Micah. They gave a doleful lamentation. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. So that was a letter that Mordecai had written, and he, they brought her. So she, she sends him an answer. And she says, Go and gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me, and neither eat nor drink three days night or day. Uh, in the fourth verse of Micah chapter 3, it says, In that day, in the day that of oppression, in that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say we'd be utterly destroyed. That's the lamentation that they have today, isn't it? Death has been declared. Judgment has been issued, though it be not righteous judgment. And uh, all that's left is to plead for mercy. And notice who they plead to. They don't plead to a man. They plead to the Lord that he intervened. God's never mentioned in the book of Esther, but God's all throughout the book of Esther. I think that, I think that makes the book of Esther one of the more powerful books because of that. The naysayers can't complain, can they? He's never mentioned, but he's manifestly present. She says, she continues and she says, I also and my maidens will fast likewise and will, and, and, and will I go in unto the king. And so will I, now listen to this, and so will I go in unto the king. I hope you are understanding why I went through the history. That after all these things and after all these things, remember where we started in the book of Esther. Vashti said, I will not go in before the king in his drunken state. Esther says, I will go in before the king, even though I'm uninvited. Vashti didn't go in before the king because it would have been a violation of the law for her to present herself in such that way in such a manner in public. Esther says it's a violation of the law for me to go in before the king uninvited. She said, I'm going anyway. And if I die, I die. As a matter of fact, she says it like this. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. If I perish, I perish. Man, we need some of that. <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> we need some of that nowadays. Somebody who's going to say, you know, I'm going to do what the Lord has for me to do regardless of the outcome. 
I'm going to use what you brought me. Brother Carter brought me this book. He was going to start his doctorate, and he's like, ah, I'm not going to do it. So, But he already bought the book. Biblical Doctrine, written by John MacArthur. Holy cow, Johnny Mac, right? The guy over there in L.A. He has said during this whole time, we're not going to stop meeting. <laughs> we're going to continue to meet. Guess what just happened to him? The state came in and said, no, you're not anymore. Oh, but we got the First Amendment. Depends on who the executor is. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went his way, and he did according to all that Esther had commanded. Now, now we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up. Now, th this is when times look bad, right? And, and, and I know all of us sometimes, we get into positions when time looks bad. Right now, we probably watch the news and say, oh, Lord, it looks so bad right now. And, it, and the thing we have to remember is it's always darkest right before the dawn, right? And, and so Esther goes in and she says, okay, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to hold a banquet. I want to hold a feast. And I want to invite you and uh, 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 Hazarus, uh, my husband, and I want to invite Haman. <laughs> Haman's like, wow, look at me. I'm the man. I'm going to get invited to the queen's banquet. It wasn't going to be long before he's singing a very different tune. I'm going to get into this really quick, and then, we're going to, and then I'm going to finish and, and, and tell you where I'm going. At the... And the king said unto Esther, this is in the sixth verse in the fifth chapter. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? What is thy petition? we got to realize something here. Ahasuerus is the king of the government. The queen is bringing forth what is essentially a lawsuit against her enemy. And she's going to make that petition known. She's going to file it with the king. And she's going to say, here it is. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king, grant my peti petition and perform my request, and let the king and Haman come to the banquet, and I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said and so that's when he goes forth she comes he comes back and uh and so we have the uh uh in the and in between that in between the banqueting period uh the ha the king has a, a night where he can't sleep and so he just says oh will you will somebody go and get me the book of the chronicles of the kings of the Merds and the Persians of the Medes and the Persians and, and he just happens to read about the instance that Mordecai uh saved his life and his kingship and he makes inquiry of it and asks what's been done to this man and, and to reward him. And they say, well, nothing's been done to this man to reward him. He lays at the gate all the time. And so what he does is he says, okay, I want you tomorrow to take this man and put him on, uh, put him on my, uh, uh, on my horse. You're gonna put the, uh, you're gonna put the, the, the royal apparel on him. And uh, and he's going to go and parade up and down the uh, up and down the street on horseback in the city, and uh, and it's going to proclaim, and then thus will be you do, and you're going to you're going to lay this honor upon him, and he's going to make Haman do it. I love that. 
I love it when the one who hates you so much they would rather see you perish has to bestow an honor unto you. Folks, these things happen. These are still happening today. I want you to understand that. Boy, Haman, he really hated that. We're going to finish up here. Uh, And Esther spake before the king again in the 8th chapter. And she fell down at his feet and besought him with tears, and, uh, and, and she begged him to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite. Uh, and because she had told him that, uh, that it was in the fourth verse of the seventh chapter, she says, For we are sold, I and my people. Now that's really important that she put herself first as the queen. She said, We are sold, I and my people. To be slain and to perish. In other words, king, you've just issued a decree that your wife is to be killed. Now, I want to understand. I want you to understand something. Ahasuerus is not the holy, horrible person that we probably are painting him out to be. He did feel regret for what happened to Vashti. That's recorded. I believe he knew that she did the right thing and the honorable thing, but a, a decree from the king is a decree from the king, isn't it? Even if he gets tricked into it. And here it is. is he's, this king has been tricked into another decree, and this time, instead of divorcing his wife, he, it's been decreed he has to kill his wife. Have you ever, you ever thought about it like that? That's that's what the decree is. The decree was against Mordecai, but when he included all the Jews, he also made it against the queen. She says, but if if we were to, to have been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I'd have held my tongue. Although the enemy enemy could not countervail the king's damage. The king says, well, who's done it? And she says, Haman. You know that pride that Haman felt? You know, he lost a lot of it when he had to put Mordecai on that horse dressed in that royal apparel. Well, I tell you what, at that dinner, he, he lost it all, didn't he? What's the Lord say? Against those that devise iniquity? Woe unto them that devise iniquity. Woe unto them. That's all Haman had left, wasn't it? As a descendant of Amalek and the Amalekites, he probably still practiced their religion. He knew nothing of the Lord, and in fact, he hated the Lord. And in fact, that's what he used to point out the reason for their destruction was that they were separate. We need to remember, folks, when we walk around in the country that we live in, we are blessed to live here, but it does not mean it's guaranteed. If people rise to power that want to see the church of the Lord stamped out, they will work for that end. What are we going to do? That's the question. The king is incensed. He goes out. Now it says here that he falls down on 
on Esther's bed. What that really is is a couch that they would have sat on. And then the king comes in, and I want you to understand the wrath that the king felt when he came back in, and he sees Haman there begging for his life, because I don't believe he was in a state where he was trying to make an advancement toward her. He's begging for his life, but the king comes in, and he interprets it another way, and it's done then. It's over. And the king has him hung. And, uh, and he takes Mordecai and he places Mordecai to a place where there's nobody higher than Mordecai in the kingdom than the king. Folks, I want to I say that I want to say this. We, uh, we oftentimes will use a lot of our mental faculties. And I know I do and I'm guilty of this. trying to come up with a way or devise a plan that we can deliver ourselves. You know what? If you're here today and you're lost and the Lord's dealing with you, you'll never deliver yourself. Ever. Conversely, those of us that's been saved, we should know that we can't deliver ourselves. When we find that those that devise iniquity rise up against us, and I'm not saying that that's what's going on nowadays, I'm just saying when when we understand that that's the case, the people of God need to realize there's only one place that you can go and expect deliverance. Before anything happened, Esther said, Declare a fast and eat or drink nothing for three days. And then in the middle of the night, the king said, You know what? I can't sleep. And he read about Mordecai's good deed. And he brought about the undoing of an evil doctrine and plan that was hatched by a man who had immense influence and sway. Folks, it doesn't matter what it is. We need to remember that there is one greater. And we need to remember at all times that there is one who is far and away above all others, regardless of how mighty they may seem or they may present themselves. And it's to him we take our positions. It's to him that we take our problems. We need to remember that and recall that in every day that we wake up because every day is a gift. Remember Joseph in the prison when he goes to the chief butler and baker. They're long-faced. They're sad. They're depressed. They're in prison. Joseph walks in imprisoned with a smile on his face. Folks, let's stop, let's stop paying attention to the noise. Let's get about the Lord's work. And if somebody devises a plan against the Lord's work, the Lord will handle it. He always has. He always will. That's my sermon today. I hope it didn't tarry your patience too much.